we are continuing through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Good to see you all back. Everyone safe? Good, good. And we have been looking specifically at spiritual gifts. And we said spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. That's what it is. A, a gift is how can we reveal the Spirit of Christ to the world and the church around us. And though we've looked at specific spiritual gifts, now we're going to look at the broadly spiritual gifts. And really the idea is what makes someone spiritual? Who is the type of person that God really delights in or is really essential for a church? Do we have certain appointed <coughs> leaders? Are they the most important? Are they more important than other people? Well, Paul's going to look at this, and you can see on your outline, by kind of tackling three different ideas. First, he's going to attack those who think they're inferior. You may know some of these people, inferiority, complex people. Oh, I, I'm worthless. But then he's going to go to the other side, in verses 21 through 26, to those who think they're superior. I don't need anyone. But then at the end, just to make sure he's clear, he's going to talk about, well, look, this doesn't mean necessarily that we all have the same role. We do have still distinctions, though we are all equal in worth. So, looking at this, let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. And I'll just ask for a volunteer today. Would someone be willing to read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 3? Thank you, Elaine. 1 Corinthians 12. So, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less, it would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Sense of hearing. Where would where the feel of that? Okay. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, they, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul here transitions from the many different manifestations of the Spirit that each one is given for the common good to talk about it generally. And he uses this analogy of a human body. We have many parts, but we're one body. And thus, no one is better or worse or more or less holy due to the gift that we're given through the Spirit of Christ. He talks about that in verse 13. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. We all have the same spirit. We don't have different spirits given to us. And that one is emphasizing our unity. And this wasn't just for Jews. He makes this very clear. It's Jews or Greeks. So don't think you're more spiritual to God. He's telling these Corinthian believers. If you're a Jewish Christian, don't think you're less if you're a Greek Christian. Or don't think you're more if you're the free Christian in your work, or if you're the slave. In Christ, slave or free, Jew or Greek, you are all one. 
And then Paul expands by using this analogy of one and many. Here we have many body parts, hands, feet, shoulders, and we could go on. He goes eyes, ears. And yet it's all working for one body. My right hand is not in competition with my left hand, not normally, unless I'm on the basketball court and they seem to not want to work together. Uh, or my right foot with my left foot, unless we're dancing. But most of the time, they're working together. They're trying to serve the common good of my life. And so he's saying, look, in the church, we have various, even here, various parts. And yet they all are for the common good. And he's basically saying, look, every part is needed. It's essential. Now on this, you always have to be careful. Take an analogy for what it is, not for what it's not. I've never seen David play soccer, but if I saw David play soccer and I said, oh man, he runs like a cheetah, you wouldn't go, man, he has spots and he purrs while he runs? You're like, well, no, that, that's not why I use the cheetah analogy. It's because of speed. Because there's always an ace there and go, well, hold on. You can lose your appendix. You don't need your appendix. Is every part of the body really needed? Okay, well, that's, Paul's using a general analogy. We don't need to push everything to its logical end every single time. But pretty clearly, we don't function well without a hand or a foot. We need them all to function as we should and to the best of our ability. And so he's saying, with a church. And then he gets specific. He goes, okay, well, what about a foot? A foot could be upset. What is it? I mean, it gets shoved in stinky socks all day. No one pays attention to it. Whereas the hands. I mean, everyone likes to show off the hands. It gets all the praise, all the glory. Well, I'm just a dumb old foot. I'm worthless. And yet he's saying, look, that's ridiculous. Just because you're not as noticeable doesn't mean you're not as important. And But people do and think and act this way. If you are familiar with Eeyore, from the Winnie the Pooh, always going around, uh, nobody knows, nobody cares, I'm just here by myself. And we can think that way. In our workplace, in our homes, in our church, I'm just worthless, no one cares, here I am by myself. And yet the, Paul is saying that's not true at all. No person in the church is worthless at all. You shouldn't, Put yourself down because you don't have the gift that someone else has. Well, I don't get to go to that. I'm just really pointless here in this body. But then Paul goes on in verse 16. He gives another analogy. He refers to the ear. The ear can't think since it's not the eye. It's unnecessary or unimportant. And then Paul kind of makes a silly argument. He says, what would it be like if our whole body were just an eye? Just one big eye, well then you would never hear anything. Likewise, likewise, if we were just an ear, we wouldn't smell anything, or we could go on and on. In contrast to that, he says in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. So God had a purpose. God had a plan when he unites Every single local body, the various parts he puts together, he specifically arranged. And everyone, as verse 19 says, is essential. As it is there are many parts, yet one body. If all were a single member, where would 
the body be? If, if all we had was Christians who cared about evangelism, where would the discipleship people be? If all they cared about was good teaching, where would the evangelism people be? And so we can't reduce the human body to any one part or function, and likewise you can't reduce the church like that. The church needs you. Every one of you and everyone that's not in here. We need every single one. And so whatever your gift or talent, whatever it may be, the church needs it. But let's pause. We can reflect on this a little bit. Why do people often think they aren't important to the life of the body? Maybe two reasons. They can't really see the purpose that they have within the body. Or it's a revelation of what is true in their heart. They desire to be more than seeing what the, how God is using them. I desire to see that position where God will reach into that world. And so they're blinding themselves. Okay, yeah. Saying for another gift or to, for their own gift to grow more than where they are? It grows for someone, someone else's gift. Someone else's gift. Because they value that position and they can. That's more, getting more than where they're at. Right. They, they don't see any use or need for themselves in the church. I'm doing no good. I'm just here. Mm-hmm. I can't teach Sunday school while I do this thing to others. Or nobody recognizes me. Recognizes the spleen. I mean, for an, for an analogy, you know, it's just it's just in their functioning, and nobody really gives it any attention. Yeah. I've heard people say, "I don't have anything in common with the other in the church," and that's quite wrong because we need people that are not exactly like us. I mean, that that's what makes up a body is all the different parts, not mm-hmm. all the same parts. And the evil one likes to make suggestions to us, and you know those suggestions are, you know, you're just really not cut out for this group. You you just don't have the skills and the talents, and you know, really, you're insignificant. You're really not godly because you commit sins all the time. And we we hear that continuously in our spiritual brains, uh, and sometimes we fall for it. Yeah, that's good. Like an internal <clears throat> vexing that we have with understanding ourselves. I think externally, I think David had this a little bit, but I think we just have way too narrow a view of what gifts are. And so we just, it's teaching and preaching and Sunday school. So it's, just, it's just so small, it's, 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 we, we just, we don't even have the, the right, we don't even have the shelves on the library, on the bookshelf for the, 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 full, the full gifts of how a, a true body of believers or a body of people functions yeah as we said the first week the gifts of the spirit are tried to argue at least are the manifestation of the spirit your gift of the spirit might be showing compassion to people that may not be very tangible it might be that you're the person who ever when someone's at the hospital you're there visiting and most people would never even know you're doing that or taking a meal or you might have some other gift that's not really seen by anybody uh, another question, could you leave and no one ever notice? Now, I think, I think that kind of cuts both ways. One, if you could, then the church probably wasn't doing a very good job of loving you, because 
hopefully, especially a church our size, <laughs> if you leave, people would notice. I mean, like a third of the church would be gone. So yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, though, to make it personal, well, if you could leave and no one would notice, then you're probably not using whatever gift God has given you. Because there should be like, hey, I lost some part of my... Most people don't lose a part of their body and go, hey, I didn't even notice I lost a foot last week. Wow, that was weird. What day did that happen? Like, you notice when you lose a part of your body. And so, we all should be involved in such a way. And again, that doesn't need to be like a task, like my job is, and we have... could be some relational way or some other manifestation of the Spirit that you're blessing the whole body with. Um... I know growing up, the church I went to was very strong on teaching, and David kind of hit on this, but I think I knew some people who felt, felt very much, well, I'm not really important because women aren't coming to me to be discipled and learned, and you know, I just kind of show up and do my thing, but it's not that important. But all of those things are needed. We need all of the gifts of the Spirit. Jeremy, one of, one of the yeah. things. Some of the parts of the body that you don't know or even trucking along in there don't manifest themselves until the body's injured. And they all of a sudden come to the forefront and start healing the body. And so, you know, that gift may appear idle for a time, but when in a time of crisis, that's the person you need right there. Yeah, great point. Along those same lines, you think until it's, until it's broken, until it's not working properly, yeah. and then you notice it. Even have told you where my gallbladder was until it had to be taken out. Yeah. There's a great story of Winston Churchill. So they were the height of World War II, and there were some coal miners who were about to go on a strike because they didn't feel like they were being paid enough. And it would have really hurt the war effort because it then led to a lot of other effects if they weren't producing the coal. And he came to speak to them and encourage them. At one point, he said, we will be victorious, talking about the war. We will preserve our freedom. And years from now, when our freedom is secure and peace reigns, your children and your children's children will say to you, what did you do to win the freedom of, one, of World War II? One will say, I marched for the 8th Army. Another will say, I was a fighter pilot. Another, I was in the submarine service. And you, in turn, will say with equal pride and equal right, I cut the coal that fueled the ships, that moved the supplies. That's what I did. I cut the coal. You know, him applying to their situation, what we're trying to say here about the church, that you might think, well, pfft, I don't have a gun. I'm not helping this. I'm not, a, I'm not on the front lines. I'm not doing anything that matters. And yet, Winston Churchill is pointing out, well, that can't happen if we don't have you in a dark hole doing a very unnoticeable job for most of the country cutting coal. And yet that is what allows everything else to happen. And same application here. Well, so Paul first tackles the people who think, I'm pointless, I'm inferior, I'm worthless, I have no good. But then he tackles the other side. Those who think, I'm superior. I don't need all y'all. Y'all are dragging me down. This is slowing me down. I got to go do this by myself. That's superiority complex Christians versus 21 through 26, would someone be willing to read that for us? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All right, so Paul's continuing the same analogy, but now he's kind of reversing it. Now the eye is saying that, look, we don't need the hands, we don't need the feet, they're unneeded. But the body of Christ is needed in your life, he's arguing. We should see the importance of every part of the whole of the church. You know, Paul would be astonished to hear Christians say, well, I can get along just fine without the church. It's just me and Jesus. He would be like, what are you talking about? We need one another. And so, verse 22, they are indispensable. Those parts we think we don't need. What does indispensable mean? Yeah. What are some things in life you can't do without? Air. Okay. Oxygen. Yeah. Food. Water. Water. What did you say, Elaine? Sleep. Sleep. Amen. <laughs> Relationship. Yeah. See, now this year, as people have gone into depressive and suicidal states, as they're not around people. Now, we, we know we need these things. And Paul is saying, look, all those things you just listed, you should put in there, church body. <laughs> I need the church body, just like I need oxygen, air, sleep, relationships. And so he's saying that God so composed the body, this is verses 23 and 24, that he will honor the un honorable parts, so that all will be seen as needed. It's not just the people who serve the children, though they're very important. It's not just people who, we've talked about, have the gift of compassion or something else, but rather we see the need for every single part of the body. But this should be so important that we should, verse 25 says, be, have the same care for one another. Literally, that means be anxious for one another. Now, what, is, what does anxiety come from? Stress. Okay, stress, worry. Unknown, yeah, out of control, or out of your control. Now, what do we tend to get anxious about? Focusing on the worst possibility of the future. Okay. Stuff we really care about. Yeah. Now, who do we often get anxious for? Ourselves. Ourselves, our children, our family. And Paul's saying, look, we should have, he's not saying anxiety is necessarily bad. He'll say, Peter will say, cast your anxieties on the Lord. So he's saying, look, we're going to have them. What do you do with them? Well, you cast them on the Lord. But he's also saying, look, those anxieties should not just be for you. We should have our vision enlarged. So I'm concerned for everyone in the body. Paul says it in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, our lives should be so transformed that what's bringing you joy, I should go, oh, that brings me joy. What brings you sorrow should bring 
Misar, it's not just about me and my life, but our understanding of being in the body of Christ enlarges what we care about and who we care about. And in other words, what he's saying is, look, on the day of judgment, he's not going to say, all right, I have this list of important roles in the church. What was yours? Uh, you didn't make it high enough. Your, your job wasn't important enough. He's going to say, did you care for all the other people in the body? Because that's what I'm concerned about. Whatever manifestation of the Spirit you were given, did you use it to be anxious for others and to use that to help them and serve them? That's what's going to be what I'm going to judge you on. So why do people often think, though, that they can get along just fine without the church? I mean, we all know people who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I just I really see no need for the church. One thing I've heard is that, uh, well, I have fellowship with other believers, you know, during the week. But it isn't the same thing because you're not really serving each other. You're just visiting your, you know, fellowship. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. And, it may, and they might even be very active with, like, group Bible studies, home Bible studies. They might... It's often, I know lots of people who are very knowledgeable, very mature in regards to doctrine and things like that. Very few people, very few Christians are getting this kind of understanding of the interconnectedness of the church. Uh, I grew up in a church where you came, it was attendance. You came to church on Sunday, you heard the sermon, you left. That was it. That was church. Because why? It wasn't, it, it was unclear to the congregation that Christ came to build his church, a bride for himself, and what that means. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just another way to put that this key vision that church is an event hmm. and not a living, breathing thing. Yeah, there was a lot of, you know, over this last year, is there have been discussions, should churches be meeting or not? Christians saying, well, look, I can hear as good a sermon online. Actually, you can probably hear a better sermon than I'm going to give online. You can listen to basically anyone who's alive today if they're a good enough preacher. You can find better praise and worship than we're going to have. But, you know, we don't just show up to hear a lecture and sing a couple songs. And psh, that's not what... The, the church is not just about the meeting, the event... Uh, what are other reasons that you all have heard? From? Yes, Joseph. I think a lot of people think that the church is mainly here to support them and make them feel better. And they go to church, and it's a human organization with sinners that are being changed slowly by the living God. And they they end up being hurt or like frustrated in some way. And I don't feel very comforted or supported right now at all. And, and then they end up leaving and call it hypocrisy. You know, and it's just but they don't really understand like. What, what church it is, they have a mis, misunderstanding of what they should be getting from church or the purpose of church. And, uh, there's a kind of clash there. You know, somehow we have this big uh, misconception in our mind, like everyone would admit our homes aren't perfect and we're Christians, yet somehow when we all get together, when we're in this building, we should never say something that would offend someone, because if we do, they offended me, we're gone. And it was at the church, too. Uh, exactly what you're saying is like, could you believe at my church? Well, has that never happened in your home? Like, <laughs> haven't we all had misunderstandings and sometimes big things that sometimes even take a couple days to work out? And yet, so often, people in a church till someone offends them and then psh, we're done. 
I can't believe in a church someone would act that way. Well, in your home, which is Christian, you act that way. So, hey, it's going to happen here. I am going at some point to offend some of you. I Hopefully not intentionally. But you got to, just like you do in your home, come and talk to me and go, hey, do you know when you said that, that was really rude. And I was really hurt. And then hopefully I'll be humble enough to apologize or try and walk through it and go, well, okay, maybe you misunderstood me or whatever the case may be. But we should expect that there's going to be conflict in the church, just like we should expect there's going to be conflict in our homes. What do we do about that? Why is it that often, though, so even some people who agree with all that will then say, well, but who really matters is the pastor. That's who really matters. Say, I stand, what'd you say? Well, amen. <laughs> I, know churches, I was in a church that was like that. You know, the pastor left the church split. I mean, it's real. Yeah. Sunday Christian. So, well, why shouldn't it just be about the pastor? Because he's not the only one in the body. He's a mouth. <laughs> He's the mouth. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> if we all are a mouth, then we know what's listening. Oh. I think it's important to have a good pastor. But I don't think that should be the determining factor of whether I go to church there or not. It's whether I'm getting nervous or something. Yeah, and where am I serving? And where, yeah. You know, I, I think often we have, to use a mental framework, we often consider church like dating rather than church like marriage. There are some biblical reasons to leave a marriage, but they're pretty few. Dating, when you determine this is a person not for me, then I think you're free to say, hey, enjoy the time, but moving on. But does that mean, I mean, does that mean then that if you, that you are technically, I mean, we say it hates divorce, unless there's obviously a reason, so does that mean that if you are moving away, or you don't have a good, like, you know, heresy isn't being spewed from the pulpit, that you can never leave a church in good standing, to say, like, well, I mean, we've had people who have, you know, that we still love and consider dear friends, to say, like, have left the church, to say, you didn't do anything wrong, this is just, after lots of, like, prayer and consideration, this is where we feel like God's leading us. And I would argue that in that analogy, we have also known people who have said, like, well, this is just where God's leading me. No, God did not lead you to have an affair and leave your wife worth the one. Like, so I might just be, like, taking that analogy too, literally. But. Well, yeah, I would say it's, I mean, there's got to be a lot of wisdom, and it's not yes. clear. I don't think we could say everyone who leaves except for heresy is sinning. But I do think, by and large, in the U.S., there is more of this dating mentality that, here's another mentality, well, I go to church here Sunday morning, but Monday night I have this other group of friends that I get my fellowship with, they have nothing to do with the church, and then Thursday I go to this Bible study that has nothing to do with the church, and then Saturday I meet with a men's group that has nothing to do with my church. Now, am I saying any of those is wrong? No, I don't, there's this group called Bible Study Fellowship, I think some of y'all do that, I think there's nothing wrong with doing that, but let's just change the analogy. I go home every night, but on Monday, I go 
talk about my problems with another woman. On Thursday, I go and I drink coffee with another set of women. On Saturday, I go and I hang out with my guy, these guy friends, but I never really talk to my wife. People go, wait, wait, wait. You can't expect that just because like, you show up once a week to the same thing or you, like, you sleep in the bed together, all of a sudden you're going to have a great marriage. Well, like in a church, if you have all your energy going everywhere else but the church, well, then you're not going to have a great relationship in the church. So to continue that analogy, I'm not saying it's wrong for me to meet up one-on-one with a guy outside the church and get fellowship. Not saying that at all. I have plenty of Christian friends in this community who don't go to our church, and I don't go, that's Christian fellowship. You're not part of my church. We can't do this. We can't do this. <laughs> but my primary, that's the emphasis, relationships, my primary growth in Scripture, my primary investment in others should first be here, and then to Christians outside the church. Um, so to continue, uh, I think it would just take each case to go, well, why are you really leaving? What's going on? Have you tried to work through this, or was this a one-time blow-up? And ultimately, I would you just have to say, I don't know. It depends on each case. A lot of times you're going to find when Christians leave a church looking for something else. This, is, this church is missing something. They're never going to find it. They're never going to find that thing because it's, it, there's, there's no perfect church. Uh, and, and so oftentimes it's simply just the investment both ways, the connectedness within the church. And it's, it's hard. Church is hard. It's hard. Like families are. <laughs> well, I think sometimes, too, I don't know if this is a rabbit trail, but um, when people leave, it's more of a consumerist mentality. They're looking for something the church is going to give to them, and there's no thought for what do I need to be, what is my place within the church, and if I feel like something's missing, is that something God's calling me to do within the church rather than go look elsewhere? I think a lot of what we're saying reminds me of verse 18 where he says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And that is to the benefit of the body that each one is here. So how is it, how are you benefiting the body by being here? How, how, how are you investing? What are you, are we a consumer? Or are, we, uh, are, we, are we holding a mirror up every once in a while as well? There's, there's, this is, that is a very strong doctrinal understanding of the church, and that's what we want to build everyone toward. And so if, if there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are weak in the body, and uh, we know a couple that was buffeted here in this church, they just they got tired of losing pastors here, <laughs> and it was hard, and, and so they went somewhere else, and I, I get that. That's okay. You know, I don't, I don't besmirch them. I don't look down on them. I no longer have fellowship with them. In compassion, you'd like them to stay, but you won't quit. Yeah. And I think as well, one more thing, and then we'll move to the last section. Sometimes I've experienced someone in a church, not so much here, but other churches I've been in, will come to me or some other pastor or elder and say, hey, what the church really needs to do fill in the blank. And often what they mean, the leaders of the church need to do, <laughs> rather than like Joseph is saying, hey, if you feel this burden to have an outreach to children, great, why don't you lead us in that? Like, 
You don't need my approval to love people. <laughs> if you see a need in the body and you want to love someone in that way, we're going to be encouraging you in that, not hitting the brakes. So we, we do ministry in the church. I have a distinct role. Keith has a distinct role. Everyone has a distinct role, but we do the ministry, not just those in leadership positions. But from this, people could then go, okay, well, look. Okay, I get what you're saying, Paul. I'm not worthless. Uh, everyone has worth. I'm not better than everyone else. So, hey, Paul, what you're saying is we're just all, psh, all vanilla. Everyone's exactly the same. And Paul ends by saying, well, I'm not saying that either. Let's look at verses 27 through 31. Could someone read those verses for us? I got it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So here, notice verse 18. He talks about how God arranged in the body. Look, God set up the body with these various parts. Then verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. Now, ESV has arranged and appointed, but it's actually the exact same verb in the exact same form. There's no difference between them. Um, probably just so it sounds slightly different. Stylistic reasons. They use synonyms. But nonetheless, it's the same thing. He's saying, just as much as God arranged all these various things, He also arranged for different levels of authority and leadership in the church. And that's really important because sometimes Christians will say, well, it started out as this egalitarian community, but then after the New Testament rose these structures and these things. And that's, that's after. You, you can even see that later as they went on, like Paul started adding this stuff. But that wasn't Jesus' ideal. Well, no, he's very clear. 1 Corinthians, one of the first letters. From the beginning, it was clear there should be these leaders that God has appointed. You know, sometimes in this, it's that people have a mentality that all leaders, all leadership is bad. So we've probably all flourished under certain leaders. Maybe some of you could go, I was really not that good at fill in the blank. And then this coach, he came and he took over our team and we got so much better. Like he really knew how to instruct us and get us to work as a team where our band, man, we were horrible. This one band leader, he really held our feet to the fire and man, we were good. Or whatever, maybe a boss or someone, a leader over you who made you in the group a better person because of their leadership. King David writes about a just ruler in 2 Samuel 23, 2-4. And he says, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And David's saying, look, a good ruler is a blessing to people. It's not bad to have leaders. Now sometimes, church leadership, church meetings, having one next week, can get monotonous. They can get 
boring. So I was in Presbyterian church for 11 years, and one of my professors, uh, he actually wasn't Presbyterian, that's probably why he said it, but he said, Presbyterians are where minutes are kept and hours are wasted. And you may feel that way at times about some of the meetings or things we have to have in the church. Boy, we sure are being real structured. Sure seems like we're wasting a lot of time here. But some of that is really needed. You know, I, I don't just show up Sunday morning and go, let's see, what should I preach today? Well, we don't just show up and have a service. We talk throughout the week. What songs would be fitting? What, what will happen when we have issues? Keith and I meet almost every week talking about stuff. We don't just show up and go shoot from the hip. Well, maybe this is what we should do. We talk through a lot of things. You're, well, how does scripture guide this? How, you know, where are they coming from? How do we think about these things? It takes time. Just like families. Some, again, sometimes we get, treat church like it should be this like heaven on earth. But in our families, we're going to go on a vacation. We don't just have the vacation. You have to put a lot of planning into it. And Man, sometimes it takes forever to pack, especially when you have kids. Oh, why are we, let's just not go on vacations. It takes too much work. Well, the vacations are fun, and we need church, and yet it does take leaders. It takes structures. It takes things that don't seem exciting, but they are essential. And then Paul lists the various things and roles that are needed in the church. And yet all of this, we have to remember, is the body of Christ. This is not Jeremy's church. I always disliked it when I was an associate pastor and people would say, well, hey, when are you going to go get your own church? Like, well, I don't <laughs> get a church. Like, y'all aren't mine, my, my possession. Um, nor is the Keith's or is the church Keith's church? It's Christ's church. Now, on one level, this is where I go. So, yes, you could say it's my church. But that's often not what people mean by it. It's Christ's church, and we're just leaders underneath him, under shepherds, to run it as he wants. Not as I want the church to go. And so, we have to always remind ourselves of that. And so... While we do have different roles, uh, we do have a deacon, we have elders, we have women who sometimes lead ministry, we have women who oversee nursery or different things, it's all under Christ's authority. Uh, so, in wrapping up, let me ask a question. Who is called to ministry? Yes. <laughs> yeah, except sometimes we use that language like, well, you know, I just, I just don't feel called to do that. I would argue that, I mean, having a mother who does the ministry, there's enough of that. <laughs> Even if you have one. It's a, there's, it, depends on your, it depends on your definition, I guess, of ministry. I mean, the definition stays the same, but who are you ministering to? It goes back to one of your earlier lessons. There are things we're all called to do. I mean, we're all called to service. Yeah, I don't like cleaning toilets. That's not my thing. Construction. When we went over to uh, Danny's house, uh, I, I can sweep, I can cut limbs, but all the stuff that Justin was doing or you were doing, it's like go, go, go. <laughs> you guys do that. But um, really uh, need 
people to understand that sometimes we're going to have to stand in the gap and do something that maybe we don't want to do. Want to. It's true in the body as well. Yeah. Again, I think the bringing it to home can be helpful here because sometimes we say in the church, well, I, I, just, I just don't really feel called to do that. But, like you said, someone just threw up. Well, I just, you know, I'm not called to the cleaning up throw-up ministry, so sweetie, that's going to be your... Well, no, you're there. You're called to it, whether you feel like it or not. You are, at that point, called to it. If you see a need in the church... Now, again, that doesn't mean we have multiple members in the body, so it might be that you go, hey, this isn't my best way to serve, so is there someone else? But if eventually you go, you know what, there's no one. Well, then I think God's saying you're being called to fill the gap right there. May not be your forte, may not be your strength or your passion. I'm not very passionate about cleaning up throw up. But hey, it's, it's there. And I'm called to love my family. I'm called to love my church. So this is more self-reflected, but how is God calling you or gifting you so you can serve this church and help it grow and mature. Uh, another self-reflective, you can answer if you want, but I don't see you need to. <laughs> Do you see the importance of leaders in the church as well? Or is it, well, they're the guys who teach, but you know they don't really have anything to do with me. I think here we're being shown, look, there is a need to look up to leaders in the church. We're not infallible, but I would hope if there's major issues in your life, it's not just me and God that you bring in. It doesn't necessarily have to be to us, but to other mature men or women in the church going, hey, will you help us pray through this and consider this and look at Scripture and go, is this wisest for us right now or whatever the case may be? Any other thoughts as we wrap up today's lesson on the unity in the church and the need for all being part of ministry? ministry ideas um, don't feel that if you have a ministry idea you go well, I'm not going to bring it up because they're going to just shove it right back at me <laughs> yeah that's not what I think <laughs> we're not going to do that uh, now because sometimes we may know the individual in the church who go oh that's great or we go man that would be a great ministry but really we don't have anybody right now who uh, is gifted in that or we might be the ones who can go, this idea came up in the church. Uh, we think it's a good idea, but we would need somebody to shepherd this. And so we might put that out that way. So don't, we're, we're not going to. Well, great. Thanks for volunteering. <laughs>